If you live with diabetes, you probably spend more time thinking about your beta cells than those without diabetes. Have these cells died? Do they just not work properly? And in either case, could they be repaired or regenerated? I'm Krista Lamb, and today on the Diabetes Canada podcast, I'm talking to Dr. Bruce Vercher about beta cells and his lab's work to better understand them. Dr. Vercher is the director of the BC Diabetes Research Network and a scientist at the BC Children's Hospital Research Institute in Vancouver. So welcome to the show, Dr. Vercher. It's so nice to have you. Thanks for having me, Krista. It's nice to see you again. So let's start. We said in the introduction that you are the director for the BC Diabetes Research Network. Can you tell us what that is and what you do? Sure. The BCDRN, as we call it, BC Diabetes Research Network, is a research excellence cluster at UBC, which I lead, but co-lead with the um, other uh, investigators. And it's really meant to bring the community of BC diabetes researchers closer together, to work together, to accelerate research and its translation, and also to communicate our research with the public and people who live with the disease. Amazing. And your focus is on beta cells, and which is great because we're going to be doing this two-part series with Dr. Dan Luciani and yourself on beta cells. And I would love it if you could explain to the audience what beta cells are, and think all of our type 1 listeners will be very familiar, but a lot of the other listeners might not be. Sure. Beta cells are the insulin-producing factory of the body. They reside in the pancreas in clusters of a few hundred or thousand or so cells called pancreatic islets. The islets have other cells in them that make other hormones and do other things, but the cell that we study and the cell of most importance to diabetes is the beta cell, which essentially makes insulin and responds to the prevailing level of glucose in our blood and other nutrients to secrete just the right amount of insulin to keep our blood sugar under control. And in diabetes, that goes wrong. Is that correct? Something goes wrong, whether it's type 1 or type 2. How would you describe that? We believe that beta cells are key to what we call the pathogenesis, the development of both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. We've known this in type 2 diabetes for some time. It's a disease of both insulin resistance and beta cell dysfunction and loss. So in type 2 diabetes, we think there's a loss of beta cells. So we have less of what we call beta cell mass in people with type 2 diabetes. And the beta cells that are there don't function as well. They don't respond in the way they should to glucose or other stimuli. And that's exacerbated by the presence of, say, obesity or insulin resistance. In type 1 diabetes, for many years, we've thought of it as a disease of beta cell total loss because people with type 1 diabetes require insulin by injection. The immune system by autoimmunity destroys the insulin-producing beta cells. And that is the case. There is definitely death of, of beta cells that occurs due to autoimmunity. But we now know that people with type 1 diabetes do have beta cells. It varies from patient to patient, what we call residual beta cells. And those remaining cells are dysfunctional. And what does it mean if to the research, if we now know that they might have some beta cells left, does that change how scientists are looking at whether they want to replace them or fix them? Are we now looking to fix them? Yeah, it's critically important. Knowing that people with type 1 diabetes have some beta cell mass, as we say, still left, suggests a couple of things. One is that maybe we could regenerate or reawaken or replicate those existing beta cells to bring back the mass of beta cells to reverse diabetes. Right now, you know, we're looking at treatments for type 1 diabetes in a number of ways. And of course, there's a lot of interest in replacement of insulin-producing beta cells. 
by transplant of pancreatic islets or uh, insulin-producing cells made from uh, embryonic stem cells. But another path could be if you blocked or attenuated the autoimmunity, the autoimmune attack on those beta cells, could you um, bring back, produce more beta cells, sort of reawaken the existing pool that's left? There's not a lot, but we do believe now that there are beta cells there. So fascinating because I think that even in the short time that I've been in the diabetes field, so much has changed and so much has happened. And I wonder how that is reflecting on your work. And you were just funded by Diabetes Canada for one of their new grants. And I would love to talk a little bit about the work you're doing for that. Sure. And our work is directly in that area, trying to understand the function and dysfunction of those remaining beta cells in people with type 1 diabetes. One of the hallmark characteristics of those beta cells that we've learned is that they don't make insulin as well as they could from what we call the precursor protein for insulin. So all hormones that are peptide hormones or proteins are made first as a larger pro-hormone or pro-protein. In the case of insulin, it's called pro-insulin. And to make insulin from pro-insulin in beta cells, it has to go through a number of what we call processing steps. It essentially gets cut up by enzymes in the beta cell. And that goes wrong in type 1 diabetes in those remaining beta cells and probably very early in the course of the disease. Uh, so we're trying to figure out why that happens and whether we could target it therapeutically. We can also use it to potentially predict disease because elevated levels of those pro-hormones that are made by beta cells may be present early on in the disease process, even before the disease is present. And for someone listening who might be living with diabetes, what would you tell them in terms of how the work could potentially help them down the road? So there's a couple of ways understanding how pro-insulin is processed into insulin. And there's another protein made in beta cells that we're very interested in called IPP, and it's also made as a precursor pro-IPP. So in our Diabetes Canada-funded um, research, one of the things we're trying to do is to identify unequivocally these molecular forms of the pro-hormones that are circulating in the blood of persons with type 1 diabetes, because we think that will give us insight into what goes wrong in their beta cells and how that might translate into helping people who uh, live with the disease or at risk with the disease. First, if we can measure these pro-hormones in the blood more precisely, it may give us uh, insight into how well their beta cells are working. This could potentially predict disease in persons who don't have the disease but are at risk. It may also help us track progression of the disease, particularly in response to uh, new therapies, such as immune therapies. It may even help us understand how transplanted beta cells are working by the measurement of these pro-hormones. So that's a big part of our Diabetes Canada um, funding. Another way in which it could help patients is that we might be able to identify mechanisms of disease and targets that we could look to target with drugs therapeutically. For example, the enzymes in that pathway that process or cut up pro-insulin to make insulin, if we could improve that, if we could correct it, we might be able to make more insulin from pro-insulin in those remaining beta cells, and that would be better for patients. And those things sound fantastic. And one of the things that I think is so interesting about the work that you do is you yourself don't live with type 1, but I've had the pleasure of meeting so many people who have come through your lab as trainees who do live with type 1. Has that had any impact on the research that you do? Working with people with type 1 diabetes has really changed my approach to the disease. Both students in the lab, we've, as you've said, we've had a couple of students and do now who live with type 1, and 
they're not only very motivated to um, find a cure and find better treatments and understand the disease, but they teach us a lot about living with the disease. They're a real inspiration for us. When I started in diabetes research, I didn't know a lot of people with diabetes. I really got into it because of the story of Banting and Best and, and just curiosity, but it's really changed my approach. It's made us work harder. It's inspired us because I see the hope that they put in the research that we do. And uh, being able to interact with people in the lab who live with type 1 diabetes every day has really been an inspiration for us. And in BC, you have become the beta cell hub, I would say. In the same way that I think about Edmonton and Islets, I think about BC and beta cells. And why do you think you're punching so far above your weight in terms of beta cell research at UBC in particular? It's a good question. I think sometimes these things happen organically. People are just drawn to research questions. You work with like people. Because of an existing strength, we've been able to recruit people interested in beta cell biology and islet biology to Vancouver. I've been here for about 25 years now, and I guess there were only a handful of diabetes researchers here and not many doing islet work. But over the years, Tim Kiefer has come here, uh, Jim Johnson, Francis Lynn, Dan Luciani, and others. Um, and, you know, you start to build this group that works together and collaborates and draws more like people. And we've also been able to draw people like Bill Gibson, for example, who's a geneticist, and he's become really interested in beta cell biology from a genetic standpoint. And then you attract more funding with um, team grants, you work together, you share infrastructure, uh, our trainees work together. So it just kind of grows and grows and grows, and it's been really fun. I have to agree with you. I, I feel like we're really in a, a hub of uh, beta cell research worldwide. Yeah, and it's amazing to me because I know that in the past, researchers really worked in silos in a lot of cases, but now there's such an emphasis on networks and collaborations across Canada, in the university. Do you think that's having a positive impact on research? Oh, there's no doubt. You know, we all have our own research questions that we want to answer, our own specific interests. If it's in the beta cell for me and with my Diabetes Canada funding um, in processing of, of hormones and type 1 diabetes. But when we work together, we're so much better. And that's been accelerated in a number of ways. One is through team grants, both by funding agencies federal government, for example, that has brought us together because these are grants where they want to fund a team. We also recognize that, you know, no one of us has all the answers or approaches and that each of us can bring a different expertise or a piece of infrastructure to a question. And so by working together, we can greatly accelerate research. And we've seen this now in a number of ways uh, here in Vancouver. And I think what's been key to uh, the success here is that it's a really collegial group of islet and beta cell researchers and other diabetes researchers here in, in BC and in, in uh, Vancouver. We really like working together. We share ideas. Trainees can move freely between our labs. We share equipment. So uh, we have this common goal, and we truly recognize that team research is the way to go. Yeah, it's been really wonderful being a part of things with the organization because there is that collaboration. And I know, as I said, we're going to be talking to Dr. Dan Luciani later, and I think that his work really does dovetails so nicely with your work. So I'm glad that we're going to get to bring both of those to, uh, to our audience. It's so true. I was just meeting with a new postdoctoral fellow in the lab who's very interested in mitochondria in the macrophage, an immune cell in the islet. And uh, as we were discussing her project yesterday, you know, we made it thought 
we have to reach out to Dan because he will know exactly what to do because he's got the expertise and the infrastructure to look at these you know, mitochondria at a subcellular level. So we're going to be reaching out to him. And the fact that he's two doors away and that you know, he is another great collaborator and someone to work with, um, I know that's going to be a great collaboration. Yeah, really fantastic. And so as we wrap things up, I wanted to give you the chance to talk a little bit about some of the other projects that are happening in your lab. We talked about your Diabetes Canada project. Are there any other projects that are really exciting to you right now that you're collaborating on or working on in your lab? Yes, there are. Um, We're really an islet biology lab, a beta cell biology lab. We're interested in the function and dysfunction of pancreatic islets in both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. So the Diabetes Canada funding is really around how um, the pro-hormones, pro-insulin and pro-IPP, are processed to the mature hormones, insulin and IPP, and what goes wrong in type 1 and in type 2 diabetes. We've been interested in this other peptide hormone, IPP, that's made in pancreatic beta cells for some time in our lab. And we know that in type 2 diabetes, it aggregates to form these toxic fibrils, very similar to what you see in the brain of people with Alzheimer's disease. And for a number of years, we've been working to try to understand the mechanism by which that occurs and can we target it. And uh, I think there is some real promise there and it being a therapeutic target in type 2 diabetes as well as in um, transplants, in islet transplants and in transplants of stem cell-derived beta cells. So we're working really hard in the area of IPP biology and islet amyloid, as we call it. Another area of research that's really grown in the last few years in our lab is in regulatory immune cells that reside in the islet and innate immune cells, particularly a, a cell type called macrophages, which are known to be sort of the garbage eaters of the body. And in type 1 and in type 2 diabetes, they're implicated because they become sort of pro-inflammatory. There's more of these macrophages in the islet, and they secrete these toxic cytokines, which are bad for beta cells, but also kind of provoke the immune response a bit stronger. So we're trying to understand what those macrophages do in diabetes within the islet. We've also found um, that they can also play what we call a reparative or pro-regenerative role. So they're quite a very interesting cell. They can sort of go bad, go rogue, and contribute to diabetes, or potentially be targeted for good and help beta cells regenerate in diabetes. And we're interested in the pathways for both the good and bad parts of, of macrophage function in the island. So this sounds like it's going to be a really, really interesting project. And I look forward to hearing more about that as you guys are doing the work that you do. But I want to thank you so much for being on the show today and for sharing some of this work with us. My absolute pleasure, and thanks for all you do for science communication and support of diabetes research across the country. A huge thank you to Dr. Rocher for joining us today. If you liked today's show, please be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast provider of your choice. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really does help others to find the show. If you'd like more information on this topic or others related to diabetes, visit diabetes.ca or contact Diabetes Canada at info at diabetes.ca. You can also find us on all the social media platforms at Diabetes Canada. Thanks for listening.